0: Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations all based on a biblical worldview. What is your favorite Thanksgiving leftover? <laughs> hmm. What is it? Pie. 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 <laughs> That's a good one, I
1: guess.
0: Green bean casserole. Green bean casserole. I've been hearing a lot about stuffing. There you go. I'm with you. Ah, I had stuffing for breakfast today, so maybe a stuffed turkey that's (laughs) talking to you today. But but yeah, yeah. Any others? Sweet potatoes.
1: Yes. yes.
0: Sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. Anybody for cranberries? Yeah. Yeah. Broccoli and rice casserole. Okay. I suppose that most of these things aren't refrigerated anymore. They're gone. They're gone already. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, it's been uh, it's been quite a week for me. and been quite a week for my for my wife. Um, I do want to list a few things before. Um, A few things I'm thankful for before we go even further. Number one, I I have I'm thankful for my wife. I want everybody here to know that Uh, we've been married for 46 years. She uh, she's got a lot of endurance to put up with me for 46 years. My parents made sure I was out of the house by the time I was 18. (laughs) So uh, I want to thank her for that. I want to thank God for. I want to thank him for her. I want to thank him for my children, my grandchildren, my church family. Believe me, I'm so happy to be part of this body here. Our pastor and his family, what great leadership we've been getting since Pastor Gio and his family have come here. I'm really thankful for the elders that I serve with. Each and every one of them brings something special Um, special to the group of elders that are here and I I have to say that without going too far that I kind of wonder what I'm doing among them Um, I am humbled by each one and I learn every week, every day from them and uh, I appreciate each one Debbie, Gawain Ted and Deborah and then I want to thank God for the privilege to be able to serve. There's a lot more to be learned from it than, there, than you can imagine. Okay, I struggle with today's message. As my wife will tell you I started almost a week ago on this message. By Wednesday I threw it out. It just wasn't coming together. But I kept getting pointed back to Christ object lessons. And it kind of really started with Neil's sermon, which, by the way, if you haven't heard it, go listen to the podcast. He did a fantastic sermon here a couple of weeks ago. And I was actually, what I was working on I was thinking about was wanting to actually springboard off of that and talk more about the Lordship of Christ. It was getting so deep, so so much there, so much I couldn't present it all today. So that's that's kind of pushed off to the future. But you know, as often happens, I was pointed somewhere else, and uh, I spent a bit of time in Christ Object lessons this week, chapter 19, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Gloria's children's story was right, right on time for what we're talking about, and the basis of what we're talking about today is trust. Trust in our Lord and Savior. I want to start out with the story of the rich, young ruler. So, I want us all to turn, if you will, into our Bibles in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22. Now, I think that we kind of sometimes lose something when we're putting stuff on the screen. I remember when I first came to the Adventist church, It was all about opening the bible and i can tell you even to this day i can get through my paper bible to where i want to go faster than the iphone but for some reason i'm stuck on that silly iphone but nonetheless let's open up here and you know so this is going to be one of those old-fashioned days where a couple places we'll go ahead and open up our bibles i'm i'm going to read now from the new king james version and I'm going to start with Matthew 19 and verse 16, and I'm going to read through verse 22. Matthew 16 through verse 22. Matthew 19, verse 16 through verse 22. Now, behold, one came and said to him, that is to Jesus, "Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life?" So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now the young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. The sad ending to the story is, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So we see at the beginning of the story, this young man comes to Jesus, running, as a matter of fact, the account says we were told in Christ's optic lesson that he actually kneels at Jesus feet when he addresses him as the teacher and only with one question in mind what do I have to do to inherit eternal life now the rich young man regards Jesus as an honored rabbi but he does not discern that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But Jesus asked him, Why do you call him good? Because God is only good. I think to a degree to try to draw the young man's attention that he was standing in front of somebody even greater than he thought. But Jesus again simply answered the young man and he said, If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So he presents before this young man obedience to the commandments of God. And obedience to God's law is the condition for eternal life. It was in the Garden of Eden, when before Adam and Eve fell, it was a condition. That eternal life was conditioned upon following God's law. And the requirement under our covenant of grace is no different. It is the same as it was in the Garden of Eden. Now at this point, so we don't feel like we're hopeless, I want to just reference you back. Go listen to the podcast of Neil's sermon. There is incredible, dynamic power offered to us To put this problem away. And under grace we are saved by faith. Do not fear because you're not perfect right now. That you won't be there. But in fact understand the power. And what God is working for. Toward each one of us. So the young man replies to Jesus. He says which ones. And Jesus goes ahead and enumerates. Those commandments that come off of the second table of stone that was brought by Moses from the mountain and he sums it all up by saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself perhaps in the account it's called out in Matthew there's a real strong purpose for that the young man replies that he's kept the commandments since his youth and asks what he still lacks His answer to Jesus is actually quite telling. By all appearances, he led an obedient and flawless life. I know somebody else who thought that he led an obedient and flawless life. And then later on, makes himself the chief of all sinners. Paul felt the same way. Had the same kind of righteousness. But this young man was fearful that his relationship with God wasn't quite right. And then the of course Jesus had replied to him, "You want to be perfect. go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me." And the young man of course, departs sorrowful because he was rich. Says a lot of things about the young man that maybe not may not jump right up at you immediately but Christ object lessons tells us this it says the young man was sincere and earnest and he won Jesus heart it Says Jesus saw in this young man great potential as one who might render service as a preacher of righteousness If he would have followed Christ, he would have become a diligent and successful laborer. I think we have a comparison to somebody else who had the same kind of nature, who was turned around to be a preacher of righteousness and a great resource for for Christ. That would be in Paul. We're told that Jesus desired to reveal to this young man that a lover of self is a transgressor of the law. This young man loved himself. And by Jesus' admonition, he identifies the young man, the plague on the young man's character. We are told that while a young man professed that he kept all the commandments of God, he was destitute of the principle, which is the spirit of life of all the commandments. Instead of being a lover of others, he was a lover of self, and the world was his God. The story makes it apparent that he was not willing to part with his worldly possessions for the sake of other people. The riches he had accumulated were of more value to him than serving the poor. If there are two crimes that jump out time and time and time again, that Israel is charged with, and they're charged with several, but one of them is apostasy, and the other one is not taking care of the poor. Very high on the list. His valuables. He treasured his riches also. More than he treasured the privilege of being able to walk with Jesus Christ. Let's not be too overly critical, though, of the young ruler. We may be fighting battles like that ourselves. Now, the early church, I want to go back to the early church, I should say, for a moment. In the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, it says in verses 32 through 35, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, and one soul neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own but they had all things in common and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the feet of the apostles, and they distributed to each one as they had need. Now, I've often contemplated this particular passage. We don't do that now. We operate differently than the than the apostolic church did. But yet, of all of the churches, who is trying to call back people to apostolic Christianity? Well, we'll talk a little bit about, about this, and I'm not going to be advocating that we all of a sudden go and clear our bank accounts up and put it in a pile and all have it shared. But I do want to say a few things about the kind of an attitude, uh, or kinds of attitudes that we may have about the resources that we have. I am convinced though that as we spiral toward the second coming of Jesus Christ the God's spirit is going to move upon his people and we again will be sharing our resources in a manner similar to the early church in order to finish the work and get it done now it seems that the Church of Jerusalem was the subject of chapter four. I'm sorry, Acts chapter four. And I expect that the kind of resource sharing we're speaking about will be more on a local congregation level rather than something accomplished through the larger conferences and church organization. The chaos I believe will force us to work together in small groups. So if you, if you follow along with what I'm getting at, the church in Jerusalem was still a fairly small group that was holding things in common. And from there they went out and they, they took the mission forward in the field. When things boil down to those last days before Jesus Christ, I can't see how we don't get this done by banding together in small groups and sharing the resources that we have to get it done. And we're not taking any leftover home. So if Acts chapter 4 is a backdrop, how do we get from how we function as a body today to where the early church was in regard to sharing their resources in common? And simply speaking, we need to foster the building of trust. At the center of what we're talking about is trust trust in God and trust in each other that no matter what happens our basic needs will be cared for now on this Thanksgiving weekend we're gathered together to worship our Lord and God and he has blessed us immeasurably It seems appropriate, that as we celebrate Thanksgiving, that we first recall the absolute abundance of what God has bestowed on each and every one of us here. Living in the Woodlands, Texas, we are largely comprised of, and many of you may not know this, the top one one to two percent. In fact, there's been numbers smaller. In terms of wealth and income, In the whole world we've got a lot to be grateful for because God has been exceedingly faithful to us some of you may may already know that I spent quite a bit of time in merchant ships sailing around this world and I have seen poverty on world scale the likes of which you do not see in this country at all there are people in those situations in other countries that would gladly live in the most destitute of our communities so what we what do we do in answer to all that God has entrusted and given to us Surprisingly, with all that abundance, we can easily slip into believing it is solely our labors that have provided for our needs. Is this thing doing that? Oh, yeah. It's kind of irritating. Is it irritating you? It's irritating me. Let me see if I can do something that, like, maybe you. Okay. So what do we do? In the face of all that God has given to us. Everything we possess. Everything we earn. Everything we require. Or I should say acquire. Belongs to him. He's made that plain in the scripture. That means like it or not. Every one of us here. Is a steward of God's stuff. He requires and he does not request. Then we return a tithe of everything that he gives us. He's asking us to return a tithe of everything he has already given to us. I'm going to tell you a little story. It's a little bit humorous. It's a little bit sad. Two elders, this is true. Not two elders in our church. Okay? (laughs) Having a discussion about tithe. And the point of debate was whether you tithe on the net, meaning after taxes, or you tithe on the gross. The elder of the tithe on the gross had a point to make, but I'm not sure the discussion should ever take place. He said to the other one, he said, would you rather be blessed on the gross or on the net? (laughs) (laughs) Folks, you work that out between you and God. Pay attention to what God is saying in regards to increase. So, if you want to build your trust in God as we approach the second coming of Jesus Christ, that's where you start. You follow his command and you faithfully return what he requires of you. Because it is a constant reminder of the source of where everything you have comes from. When you do not do that, don't think yourself so, so strong as to remember where things are coming from. If you stop and you forget doing that, you will start to ascribe what you are earning to yourself. Now, Malachi 3 verse 10 says this. And this is a good verse. We should, we should be paying attention to this. We are admonished and and in fact we are commanded. Ready? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. In that verse, God is also telling us to test him. God is inviting us To test him. Can you imagine such a thing? He's inviting us to test him. Now, if you're struggling to make ends meet and you've not been faithfully returning tithe, you may wish to consider this promise. I have heard story after story after story of people who are having difficulty making ends meet and took the step of faith and could not understand how with a hundred percent they couldn't meet expenses but with ninety they could. He will fulfill his promise. The Lord has promised and will not fail to make good on it. Now, we are going to move to something else a little bit here. The whole sermon isn't necessarily about tithing, it's more about trusting. But for those of you that may not know, in the Seventh day Adventist Church, there's two main avenues for you to give. One mainly supports the larger global ministry of our church, and is why, by the way, we are represented in more countries around the world than any other Protestant denomination. And the other supports the local church and various special ministries. The two avenues are referred to as tithe, and the other one is offering. The local church is where we share things in common. Now, we have an all where nobody's being asked to go ahead and sell everything they have and bring it into the place, you know, bring it together here and share it in common. But the fact is, the local church is the place where we share things in common. And it is the offerings that we bring to the local church that do that. Offerings made at the local church are essential, by the way, to support the operations of this church. The tithe doesn't stay here. So whether we're renting or buying a new church building or a new place, which we all know having seen the crowds that are starting to develop here in this building, we are not going to be able to sustain being here very much longer. The Lord needs to supply a place for us and we will need support from the congregation for that. Without your faithful provision of offerings for the Lord, we have a great deal of difficulty operating on the local level. Now, there is a verse in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20, there's two verses. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And Ellen White says this about that passage, which is very interesting. When men believe this. When men believe what? That you're not your own. When men believe this, their possessions will be held as a trust to be used as God shall direct for the saving of the lost and the comfort of the suffering and poor. I really like the notion that the things that we have are held in trust for those purposes they're held in trust as I was alluded to before let me say this to be clear I'm not advocating that we all suddenly pull all our resources but we need to understand that all of our possessions are held in trust for the support of gospel work and when the need comes we need to be prepared to answer it I am advocating That we do those things That build our trust in God And in each other So we are prepared for Increasing sacrifice Of what God has placed in our hands As Jesus' return approaches I am convinced I am convinced that Jesus is coming back very, very soon. Yeah. Amen. This is kind of like weightlifting. You don't build muscle unless you work at it. If you want to build trust in God, to carry you through that, through that, and carry us together as a corporate body, I don't want to see anybody in here missing when Jesus comes back. But to build that trust, you have got to do some weightlifting. Amen. You've got to do some more trusting of God and see how He works in your life. And The same thing goes among us too as we trust each other to continue to support this church and we work together and we build a fellowship here that is really tight because the time is going to be really tough before Jesus returns. I want to shift our discussion a little bit now. The rich young ruler viewed his riches and position as evidence of God's approval of his righteous life. That was a common Pharisaic belief. And to tell the truth, if this rich young ruler was also a member of the Levites, he may have actually received some of his income from the offering of people who had a lot less than him. There have always been folks... believe God blessed them with riches and position because they were specially favored at the heart of the rich young rulers encounter with Christ and his refusal to surrender all he had and follow Jesus is the principle of self denial it is the willingness to give up all to follow the Savior.
1: Amen.
0: What are you willing to give up? If Jesus was here today. And, Jesus, and he said to each one of us. And by the way this is not the call in every single person's life. Sell so it all. Go give it to the poor. Follow me. But the second part is. Follow me. It may be something different that he's asking you to lay aside. And tell Lazarus to lay all his riches aside and follow him. Lazarus followed him. I don't know what he asked asked of Lazarus. But it's the willingness to give up all to follow the Savior. So upon this young man's departure, following the exchange that takes place between... The following is an exchange that takes place between Jesus and his disciples. If you look at Mark 10... Verses 23b through 25. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. saying, we are told that the disciples were greatly astonished. Hmm. They harbored the same thoughts as the Pharisees. Hmm. That those that were favored of God, you could see by the riches and the importance and the clothing and all the stuff, you could see God's blessing in their life. And for those that were poor and otherwise, you know.
1: Hmm.
0: So they harbored that same belief. Reading on in verses 26 through 31, and it says, they were greatly astonished among themselves. Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but with God, for with, I'm sorry, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter. There was always a Peter. Sometimes engaged mouth before brain. Sometimes just engaged mouth, period. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we've left all and followed you. Hmm. So Jesus answers and said Assuredly I say to you There is no one who has left house Or brothers or sisters or father Or mother or wife or children or lands For my sake and the gospels Who shall not receive a hundredfold Now in this time Houses and brothers and sisters And mothers and children and lands With persecutions in the age to come Eternal life But many who are first will be last and the last first. So Peter's asking what his reward is and this is the answer that comes. He's asking, but the other disciples are thinking the same thing, right? He gets this answer back from Jesus. And he ends with, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So Peter had exposed himself. He and the other disciples had expectations that since they left everything, that they would be enriched and have special positions of honor in Christ's kingdom. Jesus was about to straighten them out. We've got the same principle at play here. The rich young ruler was asked to give up what he had. Jesus. Asked differently of the disciples, but they gave up what they had. Peter makes it apparent, but they got expectations. They got expectations. Let's turn to Matthew 20, and you can do this in your Bibles because I'm not reading it off my paper now. One through 16, Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give to you. So they went Again he went out about the 6th and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the 11th hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right you will receive. So, when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the land, over, say, land owner, not land rover, landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours, and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. kind of takes our whole worldly view and turns it on its head. Thank God that's the way he thinks. Thank God that's the way eternal life is handed out. Some of us will have known Christ all of our lives. Some of us will have put our shoulder to the plow all of our lives. And some that will be among us, and they may only have been for a very short time. But they were about to work hard. And we all receive the same reward. I have met people, and I don't understand this, that think that somehow or another, they are accumulating more position and honor and things for them to be given to them in God's heavenly kingdom. That is completely contrary to the way God's kingdom is and completely conforming to the way this one is I don't know about you I've been around here long enough thank you very much I'd like to leave I'd like to go somewhere else this world's got nothing in it for me of any great value In this, and what Jesus is saying, is he is warning his disciples who had been first called lest some evil should be cherished among them. The first four Andrew, Peter, John,
1: and James. Thank you.
0: Who were the four that were always contending for position among them? These four are cited a couple different times. Who is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? <clears throat> they were called first. There's eight more that come later. One falls by the wayside, and then impulsive Peter. He has to have his own nominated committee to fill that slot. But that's a different sermon than today. The parable says of those that believe they deserve more than those who work less that there's no connection between their soul and God's. They are more interested in reward and position than in true loving service to others. It reveals their desire for self advancement, their distrust of God, and their jealous, grudging spirit toward their brethren note that while those who first took the call to labor agreed to a denarius for a day's work, don't miss this, the workers who followed throughout the day agreed to whatever was right, they placed their confidence in the landowner to deal fairly with them without question the first ones made a deal those that followed came and trusted the landowner this group represents those that put their faith and trust in Christ you might say these are the ones that follow the land wherever he goes so to sum things up On this Thanksgiving weekend as we thank God for his abundant provision in our lives we need to recall what he asks in return we need to be prepared to return those tokens of abundance supplied and place those where they are useful for carrying the work forward and we're required to aid those among us in need We are stewards of what he has given us. It all belongs to him. We are all allowed to use it to meet our needs, but not forget to return his portion to him. And for those of us who might be tempted to think that our sacrifice of resources and time earn us a special place of honor. And privilege they don't in fact it speaks to a troubled heart bent on personal reward not on service to others let us count our blessings daily and acknowledge the value of our resources and bringing the selfless message of our Savior's sacrifice and his resurrection to a sin-sick world sorely in need of him I hope You all have a blessed Thanksgiving weekend. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.